Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Dynasty As They Want to Be, the podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Very special. So bonus. Well, Kyler, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with the men of Dynasty, uh, more specifically three men from Dynasty, John James, Jack Coleman, and Gordon Thompson who are hitting the road. The The pandemic really is over, I guess, because these three guys are but getting... They're doing a musical review? I, well, there is music. So, yeah, they're doing an, uh, an event called Cocktails with the Carringtons, a dynasty party. They're going to start it off in the Los Angeles area, April 16th, 17th, and 18th. You can go to cocktailswiththecarringtons.com to get tickets and more information. But, yeah, we we really talked about everything we talked a lot about the third season i talked to them about the teal paint i talked about abortions i talked about uh some of the other actors we it was a no holds barred conversation did did we dish on al corley i talked a little bit with jack about coming into the role what sort of a journalist are you we're gonna um quit talking and go into my conversation with John James, Jack Coleman, and Gordon Thompson, who you know as Jeff Colby, Stephen Carrington, the second one, and Adam Carrington. Mm-hmm. I'm so delighted to have the the men of Dynasty, I guess we can say, John James, Jack Coleman, Gordon Thompson. Um, this is Thanks, surreal Derek. to be talking to you after after watch, watching and re-watching um, Dynasty. In the podcast right now, we're currently wrapping up the third season um, <laughs> as we sort of plow through all nine seasons. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my goodness, It is an Derek. agricultural job. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I mean, one of the reasons we decided to do the podcast is because you know i think people forget how influential dynasty really was culturally i mean you know about 
the the furs and the champagne and the cat fights but it really was a revolutionary show in terms of like representation obviously some of the gay stuff which we'll get into but also just feminism second wave feminism the lots of stuff besides the, the juicy stuff so i'm interested to know that but i guess just to start out with let's kind of go through and tell me i'd like to know your like casting story how you came to the show, what they sort of told you about your character, starting with uh, with John, obviously, since you were with it from the very beginning, even before yeah. the beginning. Well, Derek, thank you. And thank you for having us on. And uh, you're spot on as far as Dynasty being a, a show that was breaking a lot of ground in its day. And it was uh, controversial, but it did a lot, I think, for people. Uh, and I think that's probably why today we're still talking about it. Um, how it started for me, I was in New York City and ABC was having a talent search for young actors. I ended up being selected and um, was flown out to Los Angeles the first year of their, it was like an old studio system where they would retain 10 or 12 actors, 15 actors, put them under contract and then find, try and find them a series. So that first year, I uh, I flew out with Tom Hanks. Um, uh, Donna Mills was also part of that. She did Bosom Buddies with uh, with um, Tom and um, Al Corley, I believe, was also part of that first program. And about I'd say about six weeks after arriving in Los Angeles from New York, my agent sent me a script called Oil to audition for the role of Stephen. And it was fantastic, Derek. This was old Hollywood, man. I showed up at Fox and we went to the, <laughs> I went to the set and it was completely dressed uh, as an office. And there was a camera there, a small crew, but I thought, wow, this is for a screen test. This is like, the, this is like big time. And I did the test. And I remember it was Friday night, I guess, about a week later, my agent called and said that, well, I've got good news and bad news. And I said, well, give me the bad news first. He said, you didn't get Stephen. I said, oh, okay. I said, what's the good news? And he said, you've got Jeff Colby. And I went, Jeff Colby? Who the hell is that? <laughs> so I went back and I thumbed through the script and I found these couple of little scenes with Pamela Sue Martin, who was played, playing Fallon. And I said, well, that's great. So I think my first, my contract, that I didn't get, I wasn't a series regular, as you would call them. I was reoccurring that first year, but I believe I did, I think, 10 or 11 of the 13 shows. So it was almost, and then the next year, of course, I went series regular. But that's that's how it started with me. And of course, it started with George Papard up in San Francisco, who originally played Blake, and then they released George. Um, for whatever reason, um, and replaced him with uh, John Forsyth, and the rest is history. And what did you, I guess, think about Jeff in that that first season? Obviously, the first season is so different from from how the show evolved and what it became. What did you kind of think of him when uh, looking well, back? I had to figure out how this 
character would work and fit because everywhere around me there was deceit there was corruption there was lying there was this and I thought okay I'll be the antithesis of that I will be honorable I will uh, have you know my morals and what oh, you're I talking think. about the script okay <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes the script not me um but yeah so I figured okay I will I will that's I have to you know and it, it, thankfully it worked out because the many scenes I had with Gordon um it, it was great because we were both at the opposite ends of the spectrum but I remember <laughs> that first that first scene I had with Pamela Sue and you were talking about groundbreaking storylines for that period is when I knew there was a chance that we had something at least Pamela Sue and I had chemistries I remember the scene, and I have a picture hanging on my wall in my office here, when she told me that she wanted an abortion. Yep. And I said no. And it was sort of this kind of an interesting take on, does a father have any rights in this? <laughs> and it was kind of, kind of cool. And, and Pamela and I just, there was a chemistry there that um, really exploded, and it made our characters, uh, made them work. And um, so that's how I ended up with Jeff. Cool. Um, and I guess I'll just go in order. So um, Gordon, how, what was your sort of audition story coming into the show after it had sort of been set up? Well, like JJ, I was part of ABC's talent development program. I think probably two years after JJ's experience. I don't know how they found me, but they did. And like JJ, I was flown out to LA um, I didn't drive at the time. I didn't, you didn't need a driver's license in, in Toronto and Montreal, where I came from. Anyway, so I, I'm walking from the apartment or wherever I was staying to the lot. And I approached the, um, I was asked to do a screen test. And I approached the, um, the soundstage and the door opened and who should emerge but Joan Collins dressed as the madam of a brothel around 1900. She was doing a movie of the week for Aaron Spelling. She looked absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> and I just, oh, hello, Miss Collins, I'm Gordon Clarnson. Oh yes, you had to test for the part of my son. It's ridiculous, darling, you're much too old. And I thought, oh, well, she's right, but <laughs> the screen test we did, um, and she realized that like herself, I knew what I was doing. I'd had, 16 plus years acting in Canada in all media, uh, film, television, stage, industrial shows, reviews, you name it, I had done it all. Um, so I was not a newbie and I was very grateful. Working with Joan was a treat. Anyway, um, and I was told Michael Torrance was my name and I thought, what? And then the first scene that I had with a wonderful older actress called Lorene Tuttle. Yes. Um, my grandmother, God, she was wonderful. Anyway, um, she told me who I really was. And to look in the mirror and repeat after her, my name is Adam Carrington, was, it just gave me chills just now. It was an immensely powerful moment. It was really well written. I was very lucky with that. And um, that is how we went forward. And I, I was told, I don't know when, that I was supposed to last, I think, six episodes. And I guess the biggest compliment I've ever received in my life was the seven years that I got out of it. Ah. 
because it was just, it was a wonderful part. It was written with no boundaries that JJ, for instance, had to decided absolutely correctly that, that Jeff had to follow. Adam was the reverse of that. He was angry. He was very bright. He was highly sexed to the point where rape was not a problem. And um, oddly enough, like JJ with Pamela Sue, <laughs> she and I turned each other on when we first met. We didn't know we were siblings. And it really approached talk about issues. It <laughs> approached the danger. I guess it's a it is a danger of incest. Donald Trump notwithstanding, it really is not a nice idea. Um, and that was another sort of boundary pushing moment for me. It was a pleasure to play such, you can fill in the blanks. You can fill in the blanks. Nasty. Yeah. And um, then Jack, I'm sure you have a very different story since you weren't originating the role. What was kind of the process um, for, for you and what were they kind of telling you about as you were going through the, the audition process? Well, I, I was I, I was doing Days of Our Lives at the time, and I remember getting a call from my sister. I was going to say a text or an email, but it sure as hell was. <laughs> and she goes, you know, they're replacing Stephen Carrington on Dynasty. And I was like, this is my sister who's in the political world in Boston. And I was like, how the hell do you know this? <laughs> um, so, uh, but then, yeah, I got a call from my agent and said, yes, the, you know, Stephen Carrington is being replaced and go on in. And so I remember the first time I went in and I was thinking, I'm real, you know, I'm right for this. I, you know, and I, I knew what Al Corley looked like and I'm like, okay, he's, you know, he's tall, he's blonde, check, check. Um, and uh, so I would go in and, and there were about, you know, 50 people who looked exactly like me in the room. And that was, you know, day one of casting and the casting process went on a long time. I was not part of the talent program uh, at ABC. You can, I'll leave you to speculate why that was. Um, had uh, I just seemed like a million different auditions before I finally got down to a screen test, which these guys seem to have jumped to kind of right away, which um, uh, I guess maybe when you're replacing somebody, it's a little bit more, they have to be a little bit more circumspect about how they handle that because, um, you know, they, they need to make sure it's the right person and they can't, they don't have any leeway of imagination. It's like, it's got, it's got to be a believable substitute for Al Corley. Uh, yeah. So that, that went on forever. I finally, uh, did the old fashioned screen test, which they don't do anymore on film with another actor, with an actor playing Blake. And I can't remember if there was a, a scene with Chris, or a scene with with uh, maybe with Alexis I don't I think I know there was at least one scene with Joan anyway and then um, and then after that they did a personality test was, <laughs> and you passed uh, well I, I I think it was strictly pass fail if it were graded it might have been a more disastrous outcome but um, I went in and had to I went onto the set and they had a camera set up for me and they just asked me a bunch of questions and I have no idea what I said. I blacked out. Um, but, uh, you know, and then a couple of days later, the phone rang, I'm on the phone with my, with my mother actually. And all of a sudden there's a, you know, the old fashioned, there's no call waiting because it was the 1870s and the phone rings and I'm talking to her and all of a sudden this beep operator, we have an emergency phone call from Howard Goldberg, who was my, my agent. And I said, see you mom. And Howard said, you got the part. And then, then I had to learn how to act for the camera and 
John Forsyth uh, helped me out there, but it was, yeah, it was a long, arduous process. And um, I, you know, I, I just, I just remember being kind of in a, in a fog for a lot of it until I was actually in probably my second or third episode where I felt like my feet finally touched the ground. Yeah. Well, those first, that, those first few uh, scenes, you're just like hanging out in a hospital and um, you weren't even really with the cast yet. I know. Um, what what was it like for the three of you? Uh, it just seems just from talking to you for a few minutes and and seeing what you have planned for the show that you have such a, a great rapport. So what was it kind of of like between the three of you, these family roles on screen? But what was it like uh, behind the scenes off the screen? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and just say, gen- generally speaking, because the show was so uber serious that most of the time when we were not on camera was exactly the opposite. So there was a lot of just laughing and joking and, and, and sort of having a good time with it all. And I, I just, I just think, Oh, you know, we, I just think we all had a really nice rapport and, and, and got along and we all realized how lucky we were to be part of this uh, sort of this supernova. Well, absolutely. Jack dead on. Yeah. Absolutely. For me, um, Jack was Jack did the right thing. He did his goofing around off stage. I usually did it on camera, and it cost them a fortune. <laughs> I mean, I I always had to be, I always had to do something either right before the take. But my my thought on that is this: is that um, making movies or anything in in the entertainment business, unless you're a stand up comedian, is 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 a company effort it's a group effort from the crew to the makeup and everybody else you kind of get in this boat together and you set off to sea and suddenly that the winds are picking up and you're flying along and things are becoming special and the show is getting to be special and big and I think that a family feeling develops amongst the crew and the cast, we had a fellow by the name of Benny Marino, who was John Forsythe's stand-in, and he was a horse trainer, and John loved his thoroughbreds. And we would go on Saturdays to Santa Anita to the racetrack as a dynasty <laughs> in a bus, cast and crew in a bus. Like, you know, John rented a bus, and we all piled into a, into a Greyhound bus, and off we went to Santa Anita. So that that feeling, I think, for me, lasted the entire, I don't know, eight and a half, nine years that I was with the show. It was just a family, family event. And what about the rapport specifically between the the three of you? How have you been able to kind of maintain this relationship over the years? I think also that you, because the whole set feeling on the set, every set has a figure, an individual, a star, a director, whoever it may be, who sets the tone, and the tone was set by John Forsyth. And all three of us since then have been leaders of different various sets. And I can say without exception that all three of us learned how to do that from John. So that set of complete professionalism was something that we were was drilled into us mm-hmm. if it wasn't there already, and I think it pretty well was. And the because of that, the mutual respect was enormous. I We all knew how good each other was. And, you know, global awards and all that doesn't, don't happen for nothing. And they didn't then anyway. And um, it was, it was just the pleasure of working, as Jack put it. We knew how lucky we were. There's a club called the 
it's more rhythmic than this, the blank, blank, lucky club. And that's exactly what every working actor who's made a living at it belongs to. And we knew that very baby age and at my advance, we knew how lucky we were. And to know that, have the <laughs> wonderful success, this global success, was a sensational sort of mattress to support us. It was fabulous. And we all knew it. And that self-knowledge and knowledge of each other and each other's gifts and what we can contribute made all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. I also think, I'll, I'll speak a little bit for myself, but I think it's probably true for, of all of us that when this, this show, as I called it, was a, a supernova and it became the biggest show in the world. And, uh, you know, we talk about this in the in the show that everywhere we go, everywhere we went, we were re- recognized in, in an absurd fashion at times. Um, but I knew, and I think all of us kind of knew that the show was the star. And I don't think that, you know, among the three of us, Certainly, I don't think there was any sense that this is this show is Jeff Colby and the Carringtons, or this show is the Adam Carrington show or the Stephen Carrington show. I think we all knew that 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 was the thing was so much bigger than us, and so none of us got lost in the sense in 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 an ego driven uh, a version of what it was that we were doing here, that we, that we were we were a, a small cog in a very big machine. And I think also, guys, that we also recognized each other's work and we did it, we did it uh, with sincerity. Um, and, and some, I've heard horror stories, I'm sure you guys have, you know, upstaging and, and complaining and this and that with amongst actors, but I never found that to be the case. And I never, if I'd walk up to Gordon or Jack, I said, man, I saw that. That was so damn good, man. And we supported each other that way. And it was honest. Um, and that's what made it unique, I think, frankly. And I think that when you have, if people could come up with the magic formula to make hit shows, we'd see they'd have it. But it's just a fluke of nature that certain elements come together and they create magic. Yeah. And- and timing and timing of you know the 80s 80s zeitgeist oh, yeah. and the uh, reaganism and sort of you know conspicuous consumption and it all kind of is all sort of um coalesced into this sort of perfect little uh unit on uh, wednesday nights it wasn't even the joan collins show uh she was far and away the nova in the show but the the name dynasty i think that is one of the most trenchant wonderful titles i can imagine i don't know who thought it up but it beats oil to hell. It, <laughs> it is, really, it is better than oil. Maybe oily dynasty would be even better. It's a great title. And what dynasty or Denver clan, whatever dynasty was such a rich title. And by God, the show lived up to it. Although 200 plus people who went on the boat that JJ just launched together and the work was the work of dozens and dozens of people that made the show such had resonance and weight and everything else i do want to hit i'll shut up now yeah i was gonna ask um jj if i can call you jj when you were talking about being proud of the work what what's a moment for each of you or maybe collectively where you thought wow like this is a really great day on set or even maybe just a storyline that you were working through over multiple episodes that you're like particularly proud of. I'd say what we spoke about earlier is that, uh, or I was telling you earlier about my, my opening uh, salvos <laughs> because they were 
with Pamela Sue. Uh, I always like to say that when you're working as an actor, it's it feels sometimes like you're in a tennis match and I hit a good shot and then they hit it back at me even harder and then I put some spin on it. And that's what I got with Pamela. And it was that storyline with Pamela, I think that I enjoyed the most. It continued for eight years on and off in some form. And I think probably the most interesting day I had where I actually stepped out as an actor and was a, an, an audience member was when I was working for the first time with Barbara Stanwyck, because I'm a fan of old Hollywood, of, of the golden age of Hollywood. And to be at Paramount and to have the scene with Barbara uh, and to see her work, her technique as an actress on camera, I just literally stepped out and just fed her lines because I was saying, wow, this is really cool. This is, you know, my mother, you know, this was a, she was a, she is, she was, you know, major, major Hollywood star. And it was cool. Yeah. Gordon, Jack, what about for you? What's something that really stands out that you're proud of as being part of the, the dynasty leg legacy that you were part of? I think, well, for me, I, I don't have Jack had, I think, for a guy, the most important and the most telling role on the show without question. I, I had the best part, I think, as, just as an actor, because the baddies are the most fun to play. Mm -hmm. And because I am... I am as ancient as I am. I forget things and I forget. <laughs> I don't remember specific storylines. I just remember being very glad to go to work anytime I knew I was going to work with either JJ or Jack or Joan or John Force. It just, it was a pleasure to go to work. That's all. And so that's all I have to contribute for that, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, my memory's not there anymore. <laughs> your memory is your memory very sharp actually this is this is absolutely not true um but <laughs> uh I, I would you know the thing at, at the time um i i knew that the role of Stephen was was important and i knew that it was groundbreaking but it was only it's only over time that i realized how much um that still to this day if people can <clears throat> look through the, um, the 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 dust and the crags on my face and recognize me as Stephen Carrington. They'll they'll tell me, oh my God, that what a, what a important thing that was in my life to see uh, a, a gay man portrayed on television, um, not the butt of a joke, but but actually a you know a, somebody to to root for and to uh, um, uh, you know, to, to, to look up to. And um, I, I, I think that was so to me that just being part of that, the fact that the, a show like dynasty, which was, you know, campy and, and um, kitschy and all those things, but it, it made some big strides in, in what it was doing sociologically and it, it still resonates. Yeah, totally. I, what were the discussions like back then about the character? Obviously, he had relationships with women and men. Watching it now, you know, 40 years later, I think, oh, okay, Stephen Carrington's bisexual. Were people even using that word back then? What were sort of the notes that they were giving you when the scripts would come in about, okay, well, this week he's with Claudia, and next week he's with this guy? Yeah, well, I don't know that the... It's funny because I'm going I'm to throw myself at the mercy of the court like Gordon did. I don't remember anybody saying specifically the word bisexual. 
So I don't know that that was ever discussed in, in that manner. I think it was a lot of it was that it was the eighties standards and practices. I mean, you know, they were, they were on you about how many feet you had on the floor when you were doing a love scene. Um, So they weren't, this wasn't going to be queer as folk, you know, they weren't going to be, it wasn't, it wasn't going to go that down that road. So I just think to, you know, I, I, I think it may have compromised the integrity of the character a bit to have him going back and forth, but he was so conflicted. I always felt that in the writing and felt that in the playing and also in the other actors that I would work with, whether it was, you know, I'd have a scene with Sammy Joe and maybe we were trying to make it work out. And, and then I'd have a scene with the, uh, you know, with Luke, with Billy Campbell, and then there was something else going on. So I, I mean, I don't know that anybody ever said the word bisexual, but I think that's most likely what Stephen was given, given his, you know, his, uh, his activities in the world. Yeah. And Gordon, how was it for you? You came out a few years ago. Um, Congrats on that. What was it like back then knowing that you were gay and that somebody else was getting to play this character? I've, I've read that you were in the closet, but I'm kind of wondering how you sort of were internalizing it, just going to work every day. Well, first of all, may I say it was not, I didn't come out. I was out. Which, oh, sorry. No, no, it's okay. I, it, to this day, enrages me because when somebody takes away your autonomy and makes a decision for you so publicly, and I was so angry. At the end of that interview, by the way, he then asked me out on a date. Oh, wow. Which is very oh. creepy. Anyway, no, I, I'm, I'm an actor. That's all. And um, I lived with a woman in Toronto for a long time. And that was actually <laughs> about the happiest relationship I've ever had. Um, but you no, know, being gay and playing Adam, who was homophobic and God knows what, a very unpleasant individual, but I figured out why. Um, it was not, I'm an actor. I've also played Jesus Christ in Godspell, and I'm an atheist, and I was a, ses- I was a successful Jesus as well. Um, it's, it's, truthfully, he's never God. gotten that out of his system, let's be honest. <laughs> what was that, Jack? I didn't I said, truthfully, he never got Jesus out of his system. <laughs> it's, it's, he's got you're the message. Jesus and Adam live in me like horrible <laughs> Siamese twins. That's absolutely true. He's got stigmata tattooed on both. <laughs> <laughs> Persecution complex. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Poor me. And then I wanted to ask you, as you kind of went on through the show, um, you know, the storylines got a little bit kookier. I mean, I mean, I guess even in the in the beginning with the teal paint um, fiasco, it was it was a little crazy. What was something that you were part of that you were just like, wow, I can't believe we're doing this. And you can't say the UFO because I don't think any of you were in the UFO scene. Right. So (laughs) no, we weren't that. That as a big part of our show actually involves that. Anyway, no, um, nothing. The, this the paint, the poison paint was based on a true story. By the way, you, yeah, do you know that it's Claire Booth Luce yeah. was Eisenhower's ambassador to Italy, and she was living in her flat in Rome, I guess, and she was becoming extremely ill because of the paint that was used to decorate her ceilings and her wall, and somebody very smart decided to use that as a weapon for Adam, who well, hated Jeff Colby. Ooh, you know, he hates Jeff Colby. When I, when I first read that, 
I thought, are they out of their minds? <laughs> the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and it's not like today, guys, where you could just type in Claire Booth loose paint and you have a thousand bits <laughs> on the internet. I don't know how I did it even. I don't know how, I, did I go to the public library? I don't know. But I ended up finding out that it was either I went to the writers and they pulled out an article from the New York Times from that period and showed me because I said, please just, and I knew that it was a true story because when that, and it was for some reason, people loved it. It was so outrageous. Uh, it gave me a chance actually to, other than just be this nice guy, I got to be kind of weird which was fun, but I actually had to figure out for myself as an actor, okay, can, can something like this happen? And sure enough, it did. Yes, and for multiple episodes, it wasn't just one and <laughs> oh, done. Oh my goodness. <laughs> hey, hey, Gordon, do you remember, there was the Claire Booth loose, what, was that story, was somebody poisoning her or did it just happen to be a lead paint that nobody recognized? It was a lead paint problem, yes. Exactly. Um, I'd say, I, for me, I'd say I have to say Moldavia because just the image of all of us lying on the ground with our hair perfect and makeup untouched and all very quietly taking a little nap while we while the camera panned out. I thought that was when I saw that 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 gave me a big chuckle. Um, but it was, it, as, as we all describe in the show, it was a great. It really was a great idea for a, a, a cliffhanger. It just didn't pay off well at the beginning of the next season right right and after playing these characters for so many years i'm sure you you know have ownership of them was there ever an instance where you kind of went to the writers or the producers and felt like you needed to fight for your character or you had a better idea of something about them or did you not really work like that i did once where i went to uh, it was the last season of the show and the ratings were falling falling all the way down to around 29 million, wasn't it, Gordon? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, they liked the idea of me and Monica, uh, Tracy Scoggins, getting together. And um, They liked I, that idea or you liked that idea? Well, I liked it. <laughs> I liked it, but I didn't like Jeff liking it. <laughs> um, and I, I said, I, I, I put my foot down. I said, come on, guys. I mean, for eight years... Uh, this has been my my character who tries to do the right thing, even though he always fails. And um, this would be a big failure. And I put my foot down. I just said no because we were we we're half brother and sister. And, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That is that does get complicated. It gets well, a little. <laughs> and Gordon and Pamela Sue already did that many years earlier. So <laughs> yes, precisely. <laughs> you were just retreading ground. <laughs> Well, I have an embarrassing story about fighting against a, a scene in which JJ knocks me out. Like, you know, the punch across the face knocks me out. And then he goes to, and does the thing that he needed to do without me. And I was like, I just showing my ignorance and naivete was sort of like, yeah, but that's what they do in movies. And as the second that word came out of my mouth, like, Jack, this is a movie. So <laughs> that's why we're doing it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> 
not, not an impressive moment in my life, but I, <laughs> I, I will recount it because it was pretty funny. And um, I want to, before we go, talk about the show. How did this idea come about? You're not just talking about Dynasty, but you're you're singing. What's the show about? How did how did the idea come about and why it do all, it now? So it all began with, with JJ, actually. The, the, he is the inspiration. He thought about it. And go ahead, JJ, please tell. Well, thank you, Gordon. Um, yeah, I called Jack and Gordon over a year ago now. I said, look, I got this crazy idea. I've been a fan of the nightclub scene, the Rat Pack stuff. And I said, I'd like, I'd like to do a show, guys, but it's got to be a show. And we got to make it entertaining and we have to have music. And I'd like to make it feel like it's an old Rat Pack show where we get up and we kind of throw some barbs and we tell some war stories and we sing, we reminisce. And maybe educate people too, because people in the audience uh, don't know what it was like when there were only three networks. There was no DVRs. There were no cell phones. There was only the Thompson guy. There was, you know, I mean, it was a very different period. And um, I thought maybe there's something here, maybe not. But for gosh sakes, let's try it. And you know, it's not maybe you know jack and gordon their input has been incredible and this is just not me i mean it was my idea and jack is you know jack's very well educated uh, i'm not so thank god because he's a very witty lyricist <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote some marvelous music with um nick marza who's a talented talented musician and uh, the song if you haven't seen it it's on youtube and we have another one that we're debuting next week in Los Angeles called Ah Claudia, which is brilliantly funny and witty. So, I mean, it, it really is a group effort over the, and not only that, we were fighting COVID and uh, we couldn't, I mean, places were just starting to open up and, and book in clubs really what toward the end of last year. So thankfully things are starting to open up right now, but it was, a, you know, we spent, I don't know how long guys, four or five months, Zoom. At least. Yep. And I guess the idea is that you're going to tour, right? We hope. Yes. yes. We hope so. Yes. We've got interest from Dubai and South Africa. <laughs> it's hysterical. <laughs> I was, what I was saying when, when JJ called and he said, you know, sort of describing the idea of the show and he was very adamant that we would have music. And at first I was a little hesitant about that, but then I thought, yeah, you know, we'll make this a real rat packy kind of thing. And so I went to my, uh, my buddy, Nick, Marzok, uh, the who JJ mentioned earlier, and JJ had a kernel of a song of, uh, you know, I think I know you. Where where do I know you from? That kind of thing that we all, you know, actors who are famous for shows all go through. Where people are like, wait, wait, I I think I know you. And so that was the the kernel of the idea, and then. Nick really developed it into a song. And now we have another song, which is also, as JJ mentioned, very funny uh, about Claudia. Yeah, we just it just developed into, you know, we, we all have very different stories to tell of the show, even though there's a similar theme, obviously. And um, I, I just think that it's, you know, it moved quickly and it's it's fast. And and I, I'm really glad that we introduced the, the music to it. That was a very, very good idea by John. Yeah, and I love the name Cocktails with the Carringtons because it kind of sets, sets the tone right there, right? Yeah, that was Jack's idea. Well, what happened was we did it and we, we somebody else named the show for us, which was Our Dynasty Tales from the Set. And it was just two 
dry for what it was that we wanted to do. We wanted this to be like a cocktail party. So um, I came up with cocktails with the Carringtons and, and Gordon added a dynasty party, which is great. And because that's really what it is, it's, it's like, you know, you're hanging out with people telling war stories and then, you know, we have a Q&A at the end and it gets interactive and there's music. And, you know, the idea is it should be, you know, sort of let your hair down and, and, and have a good time. And so I think, you know, like make it, make it into a kind of a cocktail party. And that's, that's the right. idea. And people had dynasty parties in the day. Oh, exactly. Yes. Popular people came and, as characters. Yeah. And, you know, I met a fellow and he told me that on college campus campuses, Wednesday night, they had drinking parties and they were each assigned certain um, characters. And when it, that character <laughs> said a particular phrase or a word, you had to, chug your beer or your drink i met a number of people and i, I said is that true and they said absolutely so well, what would have been what would have been your drinking i don't know probably damn it fallon i was just thinking <laughs> i was you could <laughs> damn it and, and john uh foresight said damn it a lot too he had a lot of damn it damn it damn those it. are always the hardest things to do because very few people actually say damn it without the you know, without the the the, the word the adjective, yes, the deity that in that brings down the wrath of the heavens on you if you use it. Yeah, I think for for John's uh for John Forsyth, I think you could get drunk really easily if it was uh, when he would say, "Oh, oh." <laughs> Um, well, I love that. So is anything off limits? You're going to let the fans ask questions. Is there any stories you don't want to tell or anything that uh, they should not? No, there's nothing off limits. If if, it, if we feel it's off limit, we'll either avoid it or or skillfully dodge it. But um, I mean, okay. there's nothing there, there's nothing there's no guidelines that they have to follow, except that when um, when you refer to Gordon, you have to say, sir, and you cannot make eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> No, there are no limits at all. None. Love it. Well, so these first shows are um, April 15th and 16th, and then April 17th and 18th at the yeah. Hollywood Roosevelt, which is like the best place you could ever throw the cocktails with the Carrington's party. Oh, we're very that. excited about that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, there's so much history brewing in that place. So guys, thank you so much for taking the time to kind of walk down memory lane and preview the show. It's um just hosting this podcast. It's been really eye-opening because I wasn't watching it in the 80s because I was a baby. So it's been interesting <laughs> meeting all the fans. Is it, it is true, Derek, that I hear there are new generations of dynasty fans your age. Is that you're finding that the case too? Because I've heard that as well. Yeah. Yeah, the bummer is now that it's not on Amazon Prime, it's harder because people have to pay for the episodes oh, yeah. or, the seasons or the box set. So I don't know if you guys need to, I started, I tried starting a Twitter campaign, hashtag justice for dynasty to get Paramount to put it on Paramount Plus <laughs> since they own the rights for it. But, um, well, I actually, weren't they charging you like a dollar 25 to view it? If you weren't on Amazon, or now if you do want to watch it on Amazon, it's a dollar twenty-five or something like that to, to rent one episode. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, it's on Apple, it's on Amazon, it's it's in a few places, but yeah, you have to pay per episode. But... Yeah, well, there are two hundred and thirty-five episodes. <laughs> no, I I tell people That's now insane. that insane. That is insane. Yeah, I tell people now just go buy the the DVD box set. It's a much better value, and then. 
people say, well, what's a DVD? So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but oh yeah, my God. What, what is it going to take to get those rights worked out? Because if Paramount owns it, I don't understand. They have their own streaming service. We got to get it up. It should be on Paramount Plus, shouldn't it? Well, you think uh, maybe they're making money. <laughs> Why break it? If, if it's if it's not broken don't fix it yeah that's yeah. true i was hoping with the 40th anniversary because i think that amazon prime contract ended at the end of 2020 so i was hoping with paramount plus coming online and the the reboot still going along that that it would turn up somewhere um because definitely the podcast was more popular when people could just turn on amazon and watch the episode that we were talking about that week so right right People don't want to pay for anything anymore. But we're worth it, for God's sake. Yep. <laughs> a buck 25. Come on. Well, yeah. I mean, now we can go party with you at the, the Hollywood Roosevelt. So, yeah. And, and Dubai. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Thanks for right. a lot of good questions, Derek. Thank you so much. And I hope to see you later this month. All right, Derek. Hope Thank you can make it. All right. <laughs> Bye, guys. See you, guys. Thank Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.